0: Bible with you. I invite you to open up once again to the book of Malachi as we continue our series through this Old Testament prophet. Malachi is of course the very last book in our English Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew, which is very easy to find, and you flip back a few pages, you'll be right there in Malachi. This evening we'll be looking at verses 6 14, so finishing up chapter 1. It's a large chunk, but in this I hope that we will see uh, what it means to properly worship God or, or to get a sense, a better sense of the proper worship of God. Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6. This is the word of God. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. This far the reading from God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our great and glorious God, as we come now to your word, we do ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Minds to understand and hearts to receive what it is that you seek to teach us in this passage from your prophet Malachi. Help us to understand, Lord, help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ even here in this text For we know that all the law and the prophets points to him. Teach us, O Lord, glorious things concerning yourself that we might praise you, that our faith might be strengthened and built up in Christ that your people may be uh, grown in every grace which we need to serve you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Children, what would you do if your birthday was coming up and you asked your parents, or grandparents, or someone to get you something special, something big that you are really excited about and you would really like to have. Maybe some of you would like a bicycle. And so you ask for a bicycle for your birthday, and you wait for it, and you wait for it, and finally it's your birthday, and you come out of your room, and you see there, and the living room is a big box just bicycle-sized, all wrapped up in nice paper with a big bow on it. And you walk up to this box in excitement, and you say, can I open it? And your parents say, yeah, go ahead. It's your birthday. Open the present. You tear that paper apart, and you open up the box, and inside is a bunch of kitchen trash. Oh, that's a bit surprising, isn't it? You were expecting something that you had asked for and instead you got a bunch of trash? What kind of a birthday present would that be? It'd be a pretty disappointing one, wouldn't it? That would be kind of a bad birthday present, wouldn't it? Well, what does a box full of trash have to do with what God is teaching us through Malachi. God has begun to reprove Israel in this book of the prophet Malachi. You remember last time when we looked at the beginning of Malachi, that very first verse says that this is an oracle. This is a heavy prophecy, a prophecy where God is correcting his people and telling them you've done wrong. You must repent and come back to me. At the beginning of this reproof from God to his people Israel. God looks at his people and he says, "When you come to me and worship, you are giving me trash. You're giving me garbage." God reproves Israel Because the worship they are offering isn't acceptable worship, it isn't the right kind of worship, it's worship that comes from bad hearts that need to repent so that they can worship the Lord properly. That is what a birthday present full of trash has to do with our sermon this evening bad worship is to God what a box full of trash is to us on our birthday. But the Lord doesn't just tell Israel, you've given me a bunch of trash. He reminds them that they can give him good worship if they repent, if they turn to him, and if they have a new heart. And that's what I hope that we will see this evening as we work our way through these nine verses in Malachi. Hope we see that we must seek to worship God properly since we've been made his people and we've been given new hearts. We see that through the negative example, which Israel is giving to us, that they need to worship God properly because they don't have good hearts right then. They have hearts that are seeking their own Uh, pleasure their own wealth their own glory so I want us to look this evening at this text with uh, three general divisions you can see that in your bulletin first there's a problem with worship there in Israel as God is reproving them there's a problem with the worship and that problem with the worship means that there is a need for repentance among the people of Israel And that need for repentance or or their ability to repent is predicated on new hearts. They need new hearts. So we see that to worship God properly, we must be his people and have new hearts. With those general divisions in mind, I'd like us to just jump into this text And see exactly what God is saying to Israel through the prophet Malachi. And what that teaches us about proper worship and repentance and the need for a new heart. Let's begin at the beginning of our text. Look with me at verse 6. Under this general area of the the fact that there's a problem with the worship. In verse 6, God begins this reproof by reminding his people Reminding Israel and reminding us that he deserves proper worship. Look at verse 6. God says there, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise his name. The Lord begins this this reproof of his people by using two different illustrations. First, that of the relationship between son and father and that of a servant to his master. Sons are supposed to show respect to their fathers, aren't they? Maybe sometimes you've been to the store and you've seen a father there with his little son and the son is yelling and screaming that they want chocolate or other candies and but their father says, no, not right now. The, the son gets mad and starts yelling more. And that little child is not showing respect to their father, are they? We can also think of perhaps older sons and their relationships to their father. Uh, the proper relationship between proper fathers and proper sons would be one where the son shows respect and honor to his father. That's a natural relationship, and I think we can all understand that uh, intuitively. But there's another relationship here that God uses, and that is that of a servant to their master. And here there would be an even greater degree of respect, wouldn't there? Well, sons are their father's children. So they have that natural relationship, and perhaps sometimes there's a bit of banter between the two. But should there be that between servants and masters? Well, no, certainly not. I really enjoy the, the stories of P.G. Woodhouse, uh, particularly those of Wooster and Jeeves. Now, The character Wooster is uh, one of the idle rich, is what he calls himself. He kind of leaves a, a frivolous life. He doesn't do a whole lot. He goes about and gets in all sorts of crazy uh, misadventures, really, with friends. And his faithful butler, Jeeves, is always there to come up with a solution to the problem, to bail him out, and to help take care of him. Now along the way, Bertie almost always does something which displeases Jeeves, but Jeeves always has respect for Bertie Wooster because he's the butler. And he understands that between a servant and their master, there must be a degree of respect. Well, God reminds Israel of this fact, and this would have hit home to them, As in those days, you could have servants that worked in your home or slaves even. A son honors his father. A servant honors his master. But God says to Israel, if I am a father to you, if I am your Lord, because he is the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of heaven, God says, where is my honor? Where is my respect, Israel? You should be worshiping me. I'm your God and you are my people but you aren't. You aren't. What is wrong? What's going on? You can hear Israel's uh, incredulity here, their surprise when they respond to God, how have we despised your name? God says, you're not honoring me. You're not worshiping me. And Israel says, what are you talking about? God, we're no longer offering sacrifices to, to the Baals and the astro. We're no longer sacrificing our children to Moloch. No, we rebuilt the temple. We're offering sacrifices to you. God, what are you talking about? How is it that we aren't worshiping you? We're bringing you sacrifices. And God says, you're giving me polluted sacrifices. You're offering me polluted worship. The problem with Israel's worship is that it is polluted. Verses 7 and 8. God says that they've despised his name by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Israel's problem here, the problem with their worship, isn't that they aren't worshiping at all. It isn't that they're worshiping false gods, false deities. The problem here is that they are not worshiping God the way they're supposed to be worshiping God. They are desecrating the altar through their sacrifices. The ESV translates this, pollution. And I think that's actually a very helpful word to, to be used here. What do you think of when you think of pollution? When I think of pollution, I, I think of a, a pond that was actually quite close to where I grew up. Uh, and there was trash in that pond all the time and sometimes a sheen of oil on the top of it. Maybe when you think pollution, you think of toxic sludge or something along those lines. Uh, This is a a vivid image which we get when we think of pollution, isn't it? Something has, has been messed up and it's disgusting and terrible and God says to his people, these sacrifices that you are giving to me are like dumping toxic sludge on my altar. Why? Why would God say that? As so we continue on, God says that they're offering animals who are blind, they're offering animals that are lame and sick. Why is this a problem? Well, for two reasons. For two reasons. First of all, What did God command? When God gave the laws for sacrifices in the Old Testament in Leviticus, did he say, go ahead and just bring me whatever you want? If you have a lame sheep, go ahead and bring that. It's okay. It doesn't matter a whole lot to me. If you have a spotty sheep or sheep with mange or something like that, no, don't worry about it. It's a sheep is a sheep is a sheep. Is that what God said? No. No. No, in Leviticus chapter 3, with peace offerings, God says, bring an animal without any blemishes. Not a blind sheep, not a lame sheep, one with with no blemishes at all. Bring to me your best, give your best in worship. It's what God commands. And this, I think, is, is a helpful reminder to us of what proper worship of God looks like. We should worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped, shouldn't we? Children, if you wanted a bicycle for your birthday and you did, didn't get a bicycle, you, you might say, okay, well, I'm a child and, and my parents couldn't afford to give me a bicycle this year, or my parents gave me something better than a bicycle, or something along those lines. But ultimately, not getting a bicycle isn't that big of a deal. However, it is a very big deal not to give God the worship that He desires that He requires. He's God. He is the one who says, "This is how you should worship." We don't get to decide and make up the ways that we want to worship God. We are to command or we, excuse me, we are to worship Him only as He has commanded. Now in the Presbyterian and reformed world, we refer to this as the regulative principle of worship. Our worship must be regulated, organized, dictated by what God has said. And so, when we come together Sunday morning and Sunday evening, we don't all get to stand up and worship God however we want. Some of us say, well, I think it's a good way to worship God by singing all of the hymns in the hymnal one right after the other the entire time we worship. Singing hymns is good, and we're commanded to sing hymns, but that wouldn't be regulated. Or... A more extreme example, we don't come together and say, you know what we should do this evening? We should offer incense to God. Why? Because God has not commanded us to offer incense to him in the New Testament. We are to worship God only as he commands. And this is actually really a great blessing to us, isn't it? Do you or can you guess what God Would most like you to do? Or do we rest upon and trust that God has told us what He wants us to do in the Bible? Now, I know for myself that if it was up to me to try and figure out all by myself how God wanted to be worshiped, I would have a very hard time doing that because I am a creature and I'm sinful. Thanks be to God, he has told us how he wants to be worshipped, and he delights when we worship him, and he delights when we mess up in our worship. We're sinful people, we are imperfect, and sometimes when we sing God praises, our minds wander, and we think, well, that was a really pretty rhyme that was there in that hymn, or, wow, this tune is really very nice, and, and our minds drift off of God. But the gracious, loving God who commands us how we are to worship him loves for us to worship him and accepts our worship from him. We must worship him as he desires, though. And that's the first reason why this uh, action by Israel is such a bad thing. They're not worshiping God the way he commands. But there's another, even greater underlying reason why this is a bad thing, isn't there? What were those unblemished Spotless, perfect lambs, or as perfect as they could be, being a creature. What were those meant to represent? What did they point to? Rather, who did they point to? God didn't arbitrarily say, I want unblemished lambs. He had a purpose for it. All of those Old Testament sacrifices where the people were, were supposed to bring the firstborn, unblemished of their sheep and cattle, all pointed towards the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One of the reasons why it was so important for them to offer up spotless lambs is because that was supposed to remind them that they came to God at that point in time, representatively through these, these animals, through the blood of these sacrifices. But in reality, they were coming to God through the Messiah that he would give to them by offering up these these unblemished sacrifices, they were saying, we look forward to the time when God gives the once and for all sacrifice. We look forward to that day when we don't have to offer these animals anymore because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, sheds his blood on our behalf. We are justified before God through Christ. That's the greater deeper reason why this is such a trap the people of israel are saying god we don't need the perfect spotless sacrifice that you're going to give for us in the future any old thing will do and god says people my beloved people that desecrates my altar that pollutes it that's wrong You must repent. You must repent. And then, because of these things, he does indeed call them to repent. After telling them that there's a problem with their worship, he calls on them to repent, to entreat the favor of God. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says to them, Now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us, With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. God here calls for repentance and reformation. He calls on his people to entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. God is a gracious God, is he not? The whole reason that he's giving this reproof to his people, Israel, is so that they will turn away from their sins and and return to him in love and faith. He calls on them, come back to me and treat the favor that he may be gracious. And then he makes a shocking statement. Not only is repentance something in which the people of Israel need. Not only is repentance something that we need, reformation. Reformation of worship is also needed. He says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. God says here essentially that it would be better if there were no worship going on right now than this improper worship God says, I wish that there was a priest among you, that there was, there was someone ministering to you who would correct you, who would point you back to what I've said, who, who would remind you, look, this isn't how we're supposed to be worshiping God, who would return them to proper worship. Uh, they needed a brave priest to stand up for God's word, to stand up for the proper worship of God, to, to direct the people back to this gracious God and say, we've done this wrong. Let's go back to what God says. Let's, let's ask his forgiveness. He's a gracious God. He's loving. He forgives us. You know what? Let's bring proper sin offerings to God. And return to him. Let's repent. And ask him to restore us once again. They're called to repentance. Repentance to entreat God's favor through proper worship and proper sacrifice. We might often think, I think we, we maybe do often think, well, we're reformed. Do we need any reformation right now? I think there is always for us a, a call to return to the scriptures, to always look back to what God has commanded us to do in his word, in our worship, and in our lives, and always to make sure that we are following what God says to do. And when we see that we're not doing it, it takes boldness to say, no, let's, let's repent and go back to the way God has commanded us to live. Uh, no, let's repent and worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped. This takes great bravery. It takes great zeal for the worship of God. It's a hard task, but an important one. We ought to always make sure that we are aligned with Scripture. That what we do reflects what God has told us to do. God calls for Israel to do that. When he calls them to repent, uh, when he calls essentially for this reformation of worship, God also makes a very striking promise here. A striking promise about people who, who will repent people who we are included in look at excuse me verse 11 god makes a striking promise here he tells israel you should repent or reform worship why because god wants them to be part of this great host of worshipers from all the ends of the world. God says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God wants Israel, who he's speaking to here, to, to repent To worship him properly because God wants people everywhere to worship him properly. He says that from one end of the earth to the other, his name will be great among nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting. Have you ever looked at a globe or a map? Have you ever started there in the middle? A little bit easier to do on a map than it is on a globe and worked your way all the way to one side and then all the way to the other. There's a lot of people there. There's a lot of land there, isn't there? God says, people from all of those lands that you see drawn out on a map or displayed on a globe, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, will be worshipers of the true and living God. People from from all lands will proclaim the greatness of the Lord of hosts. They will praise his name in every place. Praise will be offered to God. His name will be great among the nations. This is a glorious prophecy, isn't it? God says, look, Israel, I want you to worship properly. I want all people to worship properly. Do you know that the only people the scripture says the father is, is looking for is those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The father is looking for worshipers, Jesus says. The Lord God wants people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from Israel, from the Gentiles, to worship him. And he has chosen a great host out of all of these lands to be those who come and worship him. The Lord God, who deserves all worship and honor, who deserves glory and praise, Will have, or has had, and and will have, and has right now, people all across the world praising him. Is that it's not glorious? Is that it's not wonderful? The worship of God should be a great drive to us uh, to repent. And seek for reformation in worship. The fact that God is saving people all over the place should encourage us to follow after God. To flee sin and self and to pursue Christ and Christ alone. To worship him as he deserves and delights to be worshipped. We ought to think of this fact that the Lord's name is great in all the world. And pursue the great glory of his name. Not just say, well, sure. God says from one end of the earth to the other, his name will be great. That's, that's nice. That's beautiful. That should cause us to work for the praise of God's name uh, from one end of the earth to the other. That's why we pray for missionaries. That's why we send missionaries out. That's why we support them. Because we know that the Lord has a people throughout all the world and his name will be praised amongst the nations and we want to see that happen. We want to see fulfillment of what God says here. We want the Lord to be worshipped God calls Israel to repent of this this polluted worship which they've given so that they can be a light to the nations and they can proclaim the glories of the Savior God to the people around them but before they can do that something has to happen Before we could repent of our sins and turn to Christ, something had to happen, didn't it? We needed a new heart. The people of Israel, the vast majority of them, need new hearts. Where does that come from? Malachi doesn't actually say anything about new hearts in this text. But he tells us what the attitude of the people is. And in seeing what their attitude towards God and towards worship is, I think we can rightly understand what God is saying in in revealing this to them is that they need hearts of stone turned into hearts of flesh so that they can worship the true God. And, And praise be to God, he does change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, doesn't he? God talks about the need for a new heart in verses 12 to 14. There, through Malachi, he says, but you profane it, that is uh, the worship of God, the, the pure offerings, the praise of God's name, when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. What a weariness this is. The people of Israel, their, their response to, to God saying, You're polluting my worship, you're, you need to repent. Their response isn't, Oh, you're right, Lord. You're right. Uh, be gracious to us. They snort. And they say, oh, this is weary. This is boring. They thought that proper worship of God was, was boring. It was something that they really didn't want to be bothered with. They were going through the motions, as it were. Their hearts were not engaged in it. They said, okay, we know we're supposed to offer God sacrifices, so let's bring sacrifices. But that's all that they cared about, just fulfilling duty. There was no delight in God, no joy in worshiping their creator and their God, the one who had saved them over and over again throughout history, who had just recently delivered them from exile thought the worship of God was, was burdensome, that it was wearisome, that it was boring. And I think sometimes we think the same thing, don't we? I think sometimes we come to church in the morning or the evening and we think, okay, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do on a Sunday. So I'm just going to get through it. I'll sing the hymns. So I'll close my eyes and fold my hands in prayer. I'll write down a couple things from the sermon, but this is kind of wearisome. We need our hearts stirred up so that we delight in worship. We who are in Christ... Have new hearts, thanks be to God. We don't have hearts of stone anymore. We have hearts of flesh. We don't have sinful hearts. We have good hearts. Praise the Lord. But we still do have that remnant of sin which creeps us creeps up on us and says, ah, Do you really want to spend your Sunday doing that? You really want to sit there and listen to a guy stand up there and talk for 30 35 minutes could be home doing something else I think children it can be especially difficult for you sometimes to not find worship boring but let me encourage you when we come together as God's people in the morning and the evening God really does call us into his presence. When you hear the call to worship from the scripture, God is talking to us through his word. And he's saying, come into my throne room. Come into my presence. And when we gather together with all of God's people, we are getting a little taste of what heaven is like. In heaven, we will be in the presence of God's Uh, before the very throne of God, singing his praises, worshiping him. All together. And when we come together on Sunday, we are in the presence of God, coming together as his people to worship him. Do you think it would be boring to stand in front of a king here on earth? No, I think that'd be very exciting, wouldn't it? You might not know whether to, to kneel or to bow or, or whatever. You might be a little bit confused as to all of the different ceremonies that might go on. But you think, wow, I'm standing in the presence of a king. Regardless of politics, if the president of the United States showed up here, we'd probably all think, wow, that's pretty cool. The president's here. We As God's people get to come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Worship is anything but boring. We get to come to the living and true God through the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're tempted to be bored in worship, when when your mind is wandering or when you're thinking, maybe I do have better things to do, remember that fact. That even now, here, right now, we are in the presence of God as his people gathered together to worship him and to hear from him in his word. Israel was not grasping that fact when they came to present their offerings to God that they were coming to the living and true God. They'd kind of forgotten Or had disregarded it. Let us not forget that we come to the living and true God. So that's one way in which Israel uh, demonstrates or demonstrated that they needed a new heart. The other way is essentially a self-centeredness. Where they were saying that giving God my best is just too costly. Uh, The second half of verse 13 Through verse 14. Malachi tells the people, you bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand?" says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has made a male in his flock, who has a male in his flock, excuse me, and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations." As the people of Israel were saying that if we bring proper sacrifices to God, it's going to cost us a lot. They said that they would give God their best. But when time came to make good, they kept it back and they gave what was left over. They said, no, I could sell this lamb that's unblemished. I could sell him for a lot. At the market. This one over here I can't sell for as much. So I'll give that one to God. It's okay. He won't mind. God says no. No you shouldn't do that. The people were like Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. You remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They had a plot of land. And they sold it. And then they said, we're going to give part of it to the church, we're going to give part of it to God, but we're going to say that's all that we sold the land for. That way, we look good, because we gave money, but we also don't miss out on a whole lot. It's not too costly for us. And that had quite disastrous consequences for them. They lied to the Holy Spirit, to God, and for that, uh, they were actually killed. God says to these people, cursed be the cheat, who has a male in his flock vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. It's the same thing that happened to Ananias and Sapphira. God says, be engaged wholeheartedly. Don't say, well, I'll try to keep up some appearances as long as it doesn't cost me too much. He says, give your all in your worship. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock. This strong language from God and and the account of Ananias and Sapphira I think reminds us very poignantly, very pointedly, of the fact that God is God. And that's a simple statement. And you're nodding your head and saying, yes, who else would he be? Of course, God is God. What I mean by that is God is the holy, holy, holy God. Completely other. God is, is perfect. God is completely just and good. God is loving and kind. But God is not like we are. I think C.S. Lewis put it very well in the Chronicles of Narnia, in referring to Aslan, who represents Christ in the stories. Remember the the Pevensey children finding out that Aslan is a lion say, Lion, is he safe? I think it's it's Mr. Beaver says, safe. Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. God is God. Now, he's not sitting on his throne in heaven watching you saying, I really hope they mess up today so I can strike them down. No, he's gracious and kind and long-suffering and greatly forgiving. He's not sitting there waiting to strike you down when you mess up. He's sitting there saying, repent and come to me. But God is also not just a Kindly old man, bearded, sitting there saying, I just want everybody to have sunshine and rainbows and puppies and candy. We need to remember that. We need to remember all of God's attributes. The love, yes, the great love with which He loved us, so much so that He gave His only Son to die on our behalf. The justice whereby the wicked will not go unpunished. The grace which he pours out upon us day by day, hour by hour. The wrath which he poured out on Christ so that we who are in Christ don't have to suffer that wrath ourselves. God is God. We should be reminded of that by this. We, I think, perhaps also, as we close here, should be reminded, uh, worship can be costly, can't it? Brothers and sisters in, in persecuted places know that very well, that they could suffer great persecution for coming together to worship the Lord. We here in the United States suffer, I think, perhaps a different kind of temptation when it comes to worship. Our brothers and sisters in persecuted lands might suffer the temptation that says, well, don't go to worship. Uh, You could be raided today and then spend time in prison or be tortured. We here in the States face the temptation that says, well, everybody else gets to enjoy their Sunday off. Here I am in church. Well, all these other people get to go to a football game but I'm worshiping God. Uh, We face temptation that might cause us to question, why are we here? What are we doing? Maybe I could be doing other things right now. We face temptation which says, "Uh, the things of the earth are very nice. Maybe worship isn't that great. Dear people, Put that thought to death. Don't hold on to that thought that perhaps there's a better thing you could be doing right now than worshiping the Lord. We, as I said earlier, are in the throne room. We are God's children. We are united to Christ. In Christ, we have all of the blessings of God in the heavenly places. The great treasure house of heaven thrown wide open to you in Christ. And we get to commune with Christ, spend time with him as we come together. We have the great privilege and joy of spending time with the triune God as we come together as his people. There isn't anything better we could possibly be doing because in the time that we have, Sunday morning and Sunday evening to worship God, we are spending time with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit even as we come to the Father, through Christ the Son, by the Holy Spirit. So when you're tempted to be bored, when you're tempted to think that maybe it isn't worth it to come to worship, there's something better you could be doing, remember. Remember that we come together as God's people through the blood of Jesus Christ, not the blood of Jesus, Animals of bulls or goats or lambs. It's not through uh, the sacrifices of animals. It's through the once for all sacrifice, the shed blood of Christ, that we are united to Christ and come into the presence of Almighty God on the Lord's day. Remember that. Let that encourage you and fuel your worship of God. And when you're tempted or when you do get bored, when you do we'll say, well, let me make sure that there's nothing better I could be doing, repent of that. And ask the Lord to encourage you and, and stir you up to remind you of this, this great privilege that we have when we come together as God's people. When we come together to offer acceptable worship to God which is acceptable through Christ we come together as the people he has saved from every corner of the globe this is just a little bit of what this text in Malachi teaches us that we should worship God properly since we have been made his people and since we've been given new hearts, new hearts which delight in him and seek to serve him, new hearts made new by Christ to his shed blood on our behalf. Let us then as God's people seek to worship him according to what he has said in his word. Let us repent when we When we don't, turn back to him and with renewed vigor, pursuing Christ, let us thank him that he has given us a new heart and let's ask him to continue to renew us after the image of Christ so that we can continue day after day, week after week, year after year to serve him, to glorify him, to worship him as he calls us to do. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we do admit that there is much in this text that points out to us not only failings of Israel but perhaps also failings in our own life. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to yourself. That In and through Christ, you have made us worshipers whose worship is acceptable to you. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to instruct us in your word, to teach us of Christ so that we might grow in our faith toward him, and that you would continue to teach us so that we would do what it is you want us to do. Help us to do this to your glory and honor, Lord, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Let's take a couple minutes or moments, really, to meditate on this truth of God's word, uh, to perhaps repent where we need to repent, to thank God for Christ and the great salvation which we have in him, and to delight in the fact that we are even now before the throne of God most high worshiping him as his people. Let's meditate on these things before we finish our worship this evening.